You are listening to Where Dreams Come From, a Media for Change podcast. I'm your host, Sanjeev Chatterjee. In this episode, we meet Peter Zuccherini, who is, without a doubt, among the top underwater cameramen working in the film industry today. His credits include Life of Pi, Pirates of the Caribbean, Motorcycle Diaries, Darjeeling Express, to name just a few. I spoke to Pete at his Key Biscayne, Florida home. We talked about the origins of his aspiration of becoming a recognized underwater director of photography and what it has taken to pursue this dream over a career spanning more than a quarter of a century. Pete Zuccherini, welcome to Where Dreams Come From. Part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast is the stories that I've heard from you about your childhood, your youth, and now your professional life and the trajectory of that. And I always think of you as a person who knew what he wanted to be, a dreamt about a future, and chased it. I just wanted to ask if you would share a little bit about where you grew up and what the circumstances were. I grew up on the island of Key Biscayne, Florida. It's a, connected by a causeway system to Miami, so it's not a proper remote island, but uh, when I was a child, it certainly was a lot less developed than it is now, and we had a lot of vacant lots and uh, open property, and we could uh, walk, for example, along the seawalls and look for wildlife in a way that is hard to imagine now when the whole water line is uh, built up of homes. So my early childhood was spent sort of exploring around the island, especially the water environments. My nursery school, in a sense, was replaced by the beach. My mother moved here from the northeast like a lot of people had, and the island had been hit by a really bad hurricane a couple of years before we moved here. The types of people who lived here are very dissimilar to now in that the people who moved here after the hurricane were young families that didn't have their life set up yet. They were still just getting their first jobs. They wanted to live near the beach. And uh, little stories come from that form you, I guess. You know, you don't, you, I just remember it like a dream now because it's so long ago, but I guess those are formative years. I can remember we would shake out the creatures from the sargassum grass into a bucket and then coming back and then there would just be one sargassum fish and the other 10 things were gone. And I would say to my mom, somebody took my fish, somebody took my crab. She's like, well, maybe that big fat fish ate them all. <laughs> we started to learn some, some lessons like that. And then as a kid, we, uh, we started to learn how to go diving for lobster and spearfish. And at about 12 years old, I started to feel like I, I really loved being out on the water. I really loved diving with my friends. But it seemed like there must be something else to do besides just like kill all these things we love seeing. So I started to develop an interest in underwater photography and I, I had like a little uh, Kodak Instamatic camera which did okay but I had no control over the lens. It didn't really have a, as wide of a lens as you really need for underwater so I started to learn about underwater photography by reading this book by Flip Schulke and then I learned kind of what I needed but then I had to figure out how to get it so I... Uh, you know, I approached my father, I said, you know, I had this camera picked out at the camera store. My father said, I'll make a deal with you. Uh, I'll help you buy that camera, but you're going to buy the camera. I'm going to buy you a lawnmower, and you're going to go out and mow people's lawns and make money, and then you can buy the camera yourself. And for me buying you the lawnmower, you can mow our lawn, 
basically forever. As time went on, uh, I, my father had home movie cameras and I would take like uh, aquariums and I would take the, the Super 8 camera and put it in the aquarium and I would just push it down into the water and move it around on the turtle grass flats as my underwater camera. I couldn't afford a, a motion picture underwater camera, but um, we had these home movie cameras. Of course, back then everybody shot everything on film. I was really into sports. I probably thought, you know, maybe I would have a chance to do some competitive sports. Probably my initial dream was something like that, more in line with doing sports. But then when I went to art school and studied fine art in school, I, I realized that there was this interesting combination of photography and filmmaking. And because I had grown up my whole life snorkeling and freediving, there was these cool kinds of shots I could do swimming with the camera. At some point in college, I thought, okay, this could work. Like, I, I'm not going to be the athlete, uh, maybe professional athlete I had dreamed of as a child, but that I could combine uh, the physicality of moving a camera through water, underwater, through caves, through the mangroves, carrying it around, you know, into the swamps to get to the really cool places. I really enjoyed being outdoors, and I really enjoyed the physicality of the filmmaking process. Because at some point in my college years, uh, to finish my films, I would be in the editing room for hours and days and nights. And I liked the editing that I was doing of my work creatively, but I didn't like the process. I didn't really see myself working in an office behind a computer for the majority of my creative time. What is the shape of a dream? You know, we say that we become successful if we are able to chase a dream. And you gave a little bit of a hint of what you're talking about. So perhaps uh, if we can back up a little bit and talk about several dreams that you may, may have had and, uh, and what was the process of distilling it. When I was first making my own films, I wasn't really that interested in narrative filmmaking or even documentary filmmaking per se. I was much more interested in filmmaking about the way dreams feel. I think a lot of filmmakers approach this because film is one of is a unique medium where you have layers of sound and image which can approximate the just the wildness of the way dreams operate in your mind. And I always thought of dreams as like a really fantastic place to start looking for ideas for, for my projects. And I love the way dreams, when you move through a dream, that you could be yourself and then you, be, you become someone else and that you're, you're seeing a bear and then it becomes a bull. Like things change. I, I, at first I thought, oh, it's two different things. And I thought it was really not. I mean, your dream of what you want to be when you grow up or your dream of what you want to accomplish is kind of like a dream. Like you, you're, you're moving through time with certain people, accomplishing certain things, acquiring certain skills, making certain contacts, and then as you move through it, it's very fluid. It's rarely exactly what you imagined. And sometimes you end up in a place like what I'm going to describe, where I'm underwater swimming with cameras, seeing amazing things. It isn't really a dream, I imagine, but when I'm there, it is a familiar dream in the way that dreams 
kind of keep moving and changing. And then when I would be swimming through a school of 20,000 fish and surrounded by them, I thought, this is like a dream. This is my dream. I'm living my dream. So I, I, I can be, be very in touch with that sentiment of like pursuing a dream, accomplishing, getting, arriving there. But uh, I think it's much more abstract even as, as, you live, as you live the life, it becomes very abstract what the dream really is. I have the great privilege of having a higher education. And, you know, through the, that educational process, the idea of chasing a dream was always framed in terms of competition and about competitiveness in the marketplace. It's a strange thing, right, to do, be doing an art form but then be dealing with this competitive environment. Like if, if, if we all sort of distill our most pure thoughts of what we think art is, do we really think competition plays into that? Like it seems a strange combination. But yet, if you want opportunities, your work to be seen is one thing that becomes competitive because there's lots of people who want their work seen. There's only so many venues or so many eyeballs available. And then if you want to survive at it, meaning you want people to pay you, if we're going to operate in society, that you need to be paid to survive unless you have other means. So then it becomes competitive, you know, who's going to buy my art or who's going to pay me to make my art. All those things become competitive. And those become very significant, almost like boulders as you're moving down a river. You're, you're moving down this river in the boat and, you, and you're paddling and you're picking your smooth course but there's no ignoring that giant boulder in the middle that seems to suck you right up against it or that you have to work way around it. And competition is for me kind of like that, these giant boulders as you're trying to move smoothly down this river, that you, you have to face them. You, you can't ignore them or you'll be smashed by them. What's your advice about competition in art? My, my advice really is, is rarely logistical because if you love the water and you love communicating about it or you have a passion for either changing things that you see environmentally with the oceans or the rivers or you are in love with the artistic practice and you just love water as a medium for the way light and color and objects move through the weightlessness of water. If those are the things you're passionate about, you know, I always tell people to be wary about taking jobs that you're doing that for other people as opposed to whatever it is that sparked your passion in that process itself. So that is to say, if it's about the environment, like go right after your environmental causes, go right for the heart of them. Or, or artistically, if you have a story that you've been longing to tell, be wary of telling other people's stories first to learn how to tell your own. Those are the things I really try and emphasize to younger people. I just think that simply dreaming is not going to get you there. So what is it that you need to do on top of having a dream? At some point in my life, I was working as a director of photography on lower budget movies where you had to be very inventive, working you know, in guerrilla filmmaking, if you want to call it that, uh, and being very resourceful, but sort of getting worn out. During that guerrilla filmmaking process, I sort of streamlined and said, I really want to be back in the water. I feel like the minute you decide exactly where you want to be, it just starts happening. 
like if you're really crystal clear on where you want to be. The minute I made a, a strong resolve that I was willing to literally almost live in the streets, like I, I was living out of my van, it, I was not going to like let money drive me, I was going to let opportunities that were similar to where I wanted to go with my career drive me. So no matter what the, the, the fee was, or if there was no fee, whatever it was going to take for me to learn more. And once I decided that, it just seemed like the doors started opening up almost immediately. And I think it was just because I opened my own eyes up to there were opportunities all around me. I just needed to sacrifice something. One of my first mentors was my college film professor, Leslie Thornton. To keep me working, she knew that when you first get out of college, it's, it's hard. You know, you, you have college debts. You don't really have a clear career path if you're in an art field. So she would... Uh, she would send me rolls of 16 millimeter film and basically tell me, shoot, this is the story I'm working on. And basically, she would pay for the film and pay for the processing, and I could shoot whatever I wanted. And she would like tell me how it did or didn't fit into what her larger process was. And, but back then, you couldn't just shoot film because you wanted to. It costs a lot of money. Like you can now, your iPhone is more powerful than our 16 millimeter cameras were in some ways. So she allowed me to keep shooting and that was helpful. And then uh, that was one mentor I had that was supportive of me doing things the way I wanted to do them. And then I met uh, Sonny Gruber who was uh, one of the leading authorities on shark biology in the world. He had a biological field station in Bimini, Bahamas, which was an area that I had grown up going to and spearfishing and I knew the area well and I went as an assistant for another filmmaker and I was able to get some shots of sharks that other people weren't getting I guess because I was comfortable swimming around the sharks. When the job was over Dr. Gruber said hey uh, you know a lot of crews come through here filming and you know very frequently they don't get the shots of the sharks underwater they need because they came maybe prepared to do it, but then when they saw what the sharks looked like, they were hesitant. And because you're so comfortable around the sharks, maybe you can come back when other crews come here and I can start to help you since you're young and need to meet people. And then it became kind of an interesting relationship where whenever a crew came to the biological field station, he would give me a call and say, I got this, they're willing to hire you. Or he'd call and say, they're not willing to hire you. They brought their own guy, but I'm going to fly you over here anyway if you're willing to come. So I would go over for free anytime there was a shoot at the field station. For a few years I did that. And I accumulated a lot of great experiences, uh, learning about even more about sharks from people who were studying sharks, learning uh, ways of filming around sharks, meeting actual filmmakers. That some of those relationships actually went uh, on into the future. But when you go through those sleep-deprived, intense product productive cycles you bond more than you would in an office setting where you're like out in the out in the the ocean the sprays hitting you in the face you know you can't see everyone you know there's dangerous animals there's dangerous navigation uh, so I forged a lot of really good relationships from that time period um, I met different photographers and filmmakers directors I worked for and uh, I think as time went on through my mentors, I sort of 
learned about myself what I bring to different collaborative film processes. Most of my life I spent in the 20th century, and now we're in the 21st century. Dreaming was an essential part of who I became. A student told me one time when I was talking to him about his dream, he told me the problem is it's not as if we don't have dreams, but we, do, we are doubtful that the dreams we have are our own dream. No, oh, that's a very good point. We're all so connected. There has always been that principle in art that you know so many ideas are derivative of other things that we felt or seen. And but now with how connected everyone is, like instantly in a way that we never imagined probably when we were in our youth. That uh, yeah, there's now it's more like collective dreaming, like the true version of the zeitgeist, like the, the ghost of the times is now with us all the time. Now if I ever have an idea that I get excited about that I think is somehow uh, interesting and that it's a, a new take on, on a storytelling, I always have this like underlying urgency in me now that like not that I used to, like if I don't do this someone's going to do it someday. If I don't do this idea someone's going to do it like really soon. Because we're all so connected and we're all so influenced by so many similar things, you feel like a little bit of urgency to pursue your dreams in a way that uh, maybe I was more relaxed about it before technology was, uh, was linking us so quickly. You work in a very, very niche area on which you are at the top of, uh, for want of a better, better term, of the food chain. To get there, what really makes you tick. I have to deflect a little bit of that notion of being at the top of the food chain because I don't really necessarily agree with that. And we all know what happens to the things at the top of the food chain. Everything at the bottom of the food chain consumes them one day. Meek in, uh, shall inherit the earth, as it says, as it is written anyway. So I don't think of myself uh, really on top of anything. I, you know, I, I think of, I'm very passionate about what I do. I think to stay interested and able to contribute at the highest levels. I look at my process now, I, holistically might be a, a word I could apply to it. I can swim through a tunnel, accelerate up to the surface, take the camera out of the water, back into the water. I could attach myself to a propulsion device and zoom through the water. I can do all these things in one shot because of the, the weightlessness that cameras can have in water. So to fully explore that, you know, I like to be able to practice. And I, uh, I assume that, you know, Steadicam operators and drone operators and Movicam, they would have to do the same thing to be really at uh, the top of their craft. Um, and I embrace that part of it. Uh, when I was an athlete, I liked, you know, training and fitness. Uh, now I don't do any fitness except as it relates to my craft. I only do things to move my body by you know, going out and swimming with my camera, you know, doing things underwater with my fins. Uh, you know, that is something I really like, but that's just the, the physical part. Then there's, there's this whole other aspect of constantly trying to improve myself in how I hear people. And a big part of my dream now is understanding other people's dreams.
if I meet a director that I'm working for to, to help them uh, create their underwater scene in a movie, um, a best case scenario for me in terms of how I would enjoy the process and that I'm actually living my dream would be that I'm fully receiving what they want to get from it and maybe some things they can't fully articulate but I'm hearing that between the lines or I'm seeing it in their visual references that they're offering me. And then as we start to work, I'm seeing what they're responding to, which maybe isn't exactly what I thought from the storyboards or the script. And then at the end of it, I've done something that I really value myself as something new that I never thought I, have, I would have done. It was something I hadn't imagined, but now I'm seeing it and I'm enjoying it. And it isn't exactly what they imagined. It's something that together we like created this dreamy, scenario that everybody is just really like getting stoked by, excited by. To end, I just want to ask you the question whether you think you are successful at what you do or if not, then what would success look like? I have specific dreams, if I'm using dream as a sort of that I'm living a life that I imagined I see myself doing those things. But of course, once you've lived scenarios that you've imagined that you never thought you could arrive at or that you at some point believe you could arrive at, but it would be a lot of work to get there. Once you start living them out, then of course you have to adjust them. So uh, there's things that have far exceeded my expectations about the life that I'm leading and things I've been able to see, people I've been able to share those experiences with. And there's a handful of things that I have imagined for myself that I have not yet arrived. So it's still, it's, I'm, still uh, I'm still dreaming and still reaching for some dreams. And I'm still having dreams at night that remind me of things that, uh, that I still am fascinated by and, and want to try and uh, live in, in, in the waking life. Peter Zuccherini, thank you very much. This was a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to Where Dreams Come From, a podcast about realizing our dreams. My guest, Pete Zuccherini, realized early in life that he wanted to combine his outdoor athleticism with his love for water environments and photography. Beyond getting support from his parents and mentors to follow his passion, what enabled Pete to continue dreaming was his discovery of a clear purpose for his work. Along the way, he picked up on the value of true collaboration with others, understanding their vision and bringing his own expertise and experiences to contribute towards the realization of a shared dream. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Until next time, I'm Sanjeev Chatterjee.